0: The joy of repentance. The joy of repentance. That's my message today. What I want you to take home with you, ringing in your heart, is a quotation from that wonderful old hymn, Great is Your Faithfulness, and the words are these. Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. Now, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4, verses 17 and onwards, is Matthew's version recording the first preaching of Jesus. So, Matthew, chapter 4, verses 17 to 21, say, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, while walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And... He called them. Many, many years ago, as a young teenager, I was in London, all the way from Australia via South Africa, going to Oxford Street the first time. I was not a believer, I did not know Jesus personally, but I was alarmed by a so-called gospel message, which is in the form of blood-red writing on a sandwich board, the end is near, repent, and something else to do with fire. And it was basically a turn or burn message. Now, I didn't warm to that message, and I didn't understand it. I found it a bit scary, and the look on the man's face was enough to drive anyone away from church for life. But that issue of negative preaching is still with us today. Last couple of weeks, we've seen two instances of people had a severe brush with the law, two two sets of people. First of all, in Bristol, a couple of weeks ago, street preachers were negative, hurling abuse at people, calling them to repent, and they were taken away by the police, arrested under the Anti-Social Behavior Act. And This is the kind of thing, allegedly, they were saying. They are stirring up the crowds by saying, all Muslims will go to hell. And if you think that only the Muslims are going to get it, Uh, calling people around them disgusting for being gay, divorced, or living in sin. Now, as a result of that, they were arrested and so forth and warned, duly warned, and uh, the newspaper in Bristol is running a poll should we ban street preaching from Bristol. I go to Birmingham, a similar scene. This time the preacher is a Muslim preacher and uh, he was actually convicted of racially aggravated public order, offense, and uh, this is what a witness said he was saying. When a woman walked past, a young woman, with very tight jeans, guys don't picture it, a woman walking past, and this is what he said, you Satan, you devil, you prostitute for wearing tight jeans, take them off. You'll go, (laughs) yeah, well, okay. (laughs) I know where this is going. He didn't mean there and then. Find that bunch of people and counsel them. You shouldn't be wearing them. And before branding her a kafir, which means a complete apostate rejecter, and threaten to blow up her house. Hmm. Right. So the police, and I got this on from the police website, saying, went on to say, look, you know, this person was convicted going on to say we have freedom of speech and that people can say different things and come up with things everybody agrees with however when you start using words which are likely to cause harassment, alarm or distress or cause a breach of the peace then we will investigate and take the appropriate action uh, there are two sides of this of course freedom of speech and wisdom and uh, when you stand with street preachers we have many street preachers none of them would ever do anything like that And it's important also not to be scared and and, and be intimidated. We must stand up for our faith. But we must do so in wisdom. One thing that I know is that you cannot effectively evangelize those whom you despise and antagonize. It's just not possible. The gospel carries its own offense. We don't need to add unnecessary human offense to the offense that it already carries. Therefore, all preachers of the gospel requires a loving and gracious spirit when we share it. And that's a bit of a background to this negative image of repentance. People who do so or call people to repent harshly and unloving way, judgmentally, people who seem to want to propagate a killjoy joy religion. Often this kind of preaching calls for external moralistic response based on rules, many of which are man-made anyway and not really the word of God. Shape up, conform to this set of behaviors. Do this, don't do that, or else God will get you. And if he doesn't, we sure will. Now either this will drive us away from God, and that happens, or if people respond to it, they'll do so out of fear, guilt... External pressure or the desire just to conform to external standards and not really about pleasing God, finding out what he is really asking or saying. This kind of negative approach to repentance is life-denying. It's not life-affirming. And it's really not life-changing. Maybe it fixes some things on the outside, but it doesn't touch the heart, the inner you. And more than that, none of what we have seen, what I've just described, comes any way close, nowhere near what Jesus meant when he said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Repentance is about removing those things that get in the way of God, that block you from receiving the good things of God. I know a family right now that is involved in tremendous upheaval in the home. They are having their kitchen renovated. Now, when I say renovated, it's it's a completely wrong word because it's not fixing a tap here, putting a light fixture there, or, or changing the sink. It is a total new kitchen. Now anybody, you don't have to be a builder to know that if you're going to put a new kitchen in, you've got to rip the old kitchen out. And that was a very violent and radical act. They literally gutted the whole kitchen, pulled everything out, massive upheaval, inconvenient. Imagine trying to live for several weeks or whatever without running hot water anywhere to cook, anywhere to wash your dishes. And yet, even though it's that incredible upheaval, very inconvenient, gutting the whole kitchen, there is purpose. there's a vision God has a vision and a purpose for you and the only way is to get rid of the old so he can bring in the new and at times it can feel so radical and painful that you feel gutted and the truth is anybody who is honest today and open about this will say there have been times in their life when God has asked them to do something and to part with something which is very clearly sin but when that happens we feel gutted And we thought, God, how am I going to live without this? Is it it going to be possible? And God says, yes, I'm doing it for a purpose. That is the joy of repentance. There is a vision that God has for your life. Not just what you should be, and not just what you could be, but what you are going to be. He gives you strength for today, and bright hope for tomorrow. And then when the kitchen starts to get put together a bit and the hot water starts running again, the new things begin to emerge. It's amazing. It's delightful. And I think that's a picture of nearly every one of us here today. We're in the process of having our lives completely transformed by Jesus. And then we see old things are gone and, and we feel vacant and at times and in, inconvenienced by this. But as the new things emerge, we say, I'm so glad that I turned my heart towards Jesus to receive the good things of God. True repentance is positive and life-affirming. I have just established, of course, that turning away from some things and many things in our life might produce a sense of loss, but we're doing that in order to turn towards God. It is characteristically repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we do this, we are embracing, instead of the stuff that brings mess and pain and and, and suffering, we, we embrace the things which are right and true, pure healthy and life giving. Essentially this is about reorientating your life away from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. And when you line up with God you'll never ever be sorry because you're lining up with He who is ultimate reality. This is what reality really is all about. It's the nature of things as they really are. God created the universe and everything in it and lining up with him is a good thing to do because we begin to see things clearly. Clarity that's what um, repentance is all about. Seeing things as they really are, not as we think they are and wrongly think they are. Clearing out the old to make way for the new. Many years ago when Amanda and I had our first child, Elizabeth, and Amanda was expecting. We had to make plans to make room for the new life that was going to come into the home. Now, there were many other alternatives. Just checking to see where Amanda is right now. Oh, never mind. It's being recorded. She'll get it. Um, you know, there were many alternatives, but we were of the, the real persuasion that there was one room that would be best transformed into a new baby room. And that was my study. My, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a sad story. Um, and, um, And ripping out, I had rows of books and hardly enough room for me. Now I need a whole house to put books in. And thank God for Summit House where we can do that. And I had to get rid of all the books, rip down everything and then do some DIY. I'm thinking of another word for it. It's not do it yourself, it's have somebody else do it for you. That's my <laughs> philosophy. But back in the day, I had to do it and put, uh, fix the plaster and you know all the filling and that kind of stuff, and chose the wallpaper. Remember the wallpaper, I can see it clearly. In fact, I was so excited thinking about this that I should bring a picture and show you. Anyway, it was called Happy People, Happy People. And we were happy. And despite the fact of a major upheaval, inconvenience personally in a way but it was all joyful because we were receiving new life it is life giving clearing away the old to make new for the to make way for the new another thing about repentance it is not about rules and regulations it's about a personal relationship repentance is personal and relational did you see in the story we read of Jesus preaching and calling his disciples, he said, "Come, follow me. Follow me. I've got a plan for your life. I'm going to make something of you. And and you need to leave all that and come on and get involved with what I have for you." So they left their nets behind. They left that stuff and they followed Jesus. It was personal. Jesus presented a radical and personal call to discipleship and repentance based on relationship with Him. Wonderful thing is, is when we respond to that, we discover that we're not alone. Yes, it's personal. We have to make that decision. But we're not alone when we do it. We are together in this. We are part of a discipled community or a community being discipled. We haven't got there yet. And a community of people that is learning how to disciple others. And and, and you're not alone. That's why in this church... We have organized a structure. It's nothing more than a structure. We call it the cell vision, but we might as well call it a cell structure because it's it's really, that's all it is. It's a structure, an opportunity for every single person to join a discipled community and learn how to be discipled with one another, sharing together, and to make disciples of others. That's why I call on absolutely everybody, no exceptions, to be part of that community not just to come on Sunday as great as that is, but to be involved in walking with Jesus, in communion with God's people from this church throughout the week as we begin to present Jesus to the wider community. And this relational aspect of repentance means something very special. It means that the change Jesus brings, and repentance is all about change, The Greek word metanoia means change of mind. I'll come to that. But the first part, meta, means change. It's all about change. And the change that God wants to bring, the change of the kingdom of God, is not merely about external forms of behavior and patterns of behavior. Yes, it does have implications, serious implications for what we do, but it begins in the heart. God changes you from the inside out. We do this out of relationships. With Jesus and with one another. We do this out of love for Jesus. And that's what he inspires within us. When we follow him, we are not forcing ourselves. Nor are we being forced into some kind of pattern of conformity. We are coming to him out of love. I mentioned that one of the words for repentance means a change of mind. And uh, yeah, of course it involves what you think. You've got to change what you think. But the word mind isn't, doesn't just mean those, those conscious cognitive processes of the brain. Mind in the Bible really is another word for the totality of your inner being. It's everything that's inside you. Rather like the word heart. It is a change of heart and mind that leads to a radical turnabout of life. And it's continuous. If we said we're turning away from self centeredness to God-centeredness there isn't a day that goes by on God's earth when every single one of us need to do that this isn't a done deal of the past it's something that we walk in we walk in repentance and when we do that we discover something absolutely wonderful not only is this relationship it is about reconciled relationship Yes, it can come from brokenness. I'm not talking about self hatred or self loathing, but a brokenness when we recognize that there's nothing within us that can actually change in such a way as to make us personally acceptable to God. God mends that kind of brokenness and invites us into an empowered, intimate relationship with Him, which brings real reconciliation. When I was a boy in Africa and Australia I often felt the effects of a very disciplinarian father who would deal with me very physically in terms of discipline. Times have changed, uh, you wouldn't be allowed today so be aware of that, you got to use better methods than these, and I, but I'm not criticizing the methodology because I remember something else: what I take away from those unjust and sometimes undeserved um, attacks physical attacks. What I take from that is what happened afterwards, and this was the redeeming feature i didn 't realize that I thought about this, how much that has shaped my life, the positive side of this, what he would do afterwards, whether he felt guilty or wanted to kind of men, men, make things up, but mend men things but I sense something far more sincere in him than that. He would always sit me down afterwards, assuming I could sit down, and and he'd hug me. And we would reconcile. That's what I remember. I remember the warmth of genuine-hearted reconciliation. And it shaped my life because You know, over the years, as I look back, I am particularly committed to building reconciliation between people and my own life. If there's been some stuff that's gone on between me and some other person and and we're at loggerheads and it happens, I always want that we reconcile. And that being together in reconciled relationship is sweet Very sweet. But imagine what that's like with God. We don't breed bitterness. We don't breed rejection. We don't run from him. We run towards him. And he runs towards us. A picture of this is the prodigal son returning with his legalistic, religious, self-righteous speech prepared. Take me back and I'll do this, 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 this and this. If you accept me, I'll be a slave. And the father never let him say that. He said, my son which was lost is found. Come rejoice with me and embraced him. And I believe that's where true repentance was found and is found in the reconciling loving arms of our heavenly father who says, son, daughter, I love you. Now, there is a standard to follow. There's no doubt about that. I'm not saying that We don't have to search the scriptures and look at them and find out what God's will is and obey His will, and sometimes do that no matter how we feel about it. That's important. But real reconciled relationship that is birthed out of repentance goes far deeper. There is a standard, and His name is Jesus. He is the standard. And, 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 and it's more than Jesus outside directing us and leading us and guiding us. It is Jesus inside by the Holy Spirit. So it's more than a model to follow. It's a life to be lived. The very presence of the life of Christ in us. Galatians 2 verse 20, one of my favorite verses in the Bible says... I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is the amazing, attractional, drawing, enticing power of the love of Jesus. He loves us, died for us, lives again, and now lives in us by his Holy Spirit. And because of that, we are enabled. He gives us strength for today, which yields bright hope and fruit for tomorrow. Repentance is fruitful. It's productive. And they are the fruits of life used to sing a song and I'm still sure it's sung in different places. There is no peace, no joy, no thrill like walking in his will. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Have you ever experienced the truth of that? You're struggling with an area of repentance something in your life and you have all the Justification necessary, God understands he's unfair, he shouldn't do this. Either God is very fair and he will see my point of view, let me get away with it, or God is unfair and he's withholding something wonderful from me and he's just he's just a party pooper and all that kind of stuff. But when you finally yield, there is this tremendous sense of peace, this fruit, tremendous sense of joy. Joy of repentance. God wants to give you that today. And this fruit-bearing analogy is really drawing pictures of the spiritual life from the natural life. Paul encourages us to do this in Galatians 6, verses 7 and 8. This is a passage which is written in the context of giving, sowing financial seed, basically is saying, use your money, on good stuff, God's stuff. You invest in something which is fleshly and corruptible, you're just gonna reap that stuff back in your life. But he says if you sow financially into the good things of God, you will reap good stuff. But it's not just a pattern for giving and receiving. In terms of finance, it is a general principle. It is a principle that runs right across the board. And here it is, Galatians 6, 7 and 8. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. With all God's love and grace and mercy, this principle applies, whatever you sow, you reap. Okay, you're not gonna get away with it, God says. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, will reap from the flesh corruption. This is somebody that is sowing seeds of self-indulgence, gratification, following all desires without any sense of of self-correction or help from God to put it aside. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. That's the joy of repentance. Now notice Paul is not telling you how to get saved. He's talking about the quality of life in the kingdom that you can receive if you walk in repentance and sow the right things. As soon as we see eternal life, we think it talks about getting ticket to heaven. That's an evangelical disease, not going to heaven, but thinking that it's all about that. And uh, if, if this was about going to heaven, what it really means you better give more, otherwise you won't get to heaven. And that's not at all what the gospel says what this is saying is having received the gift of eternal life as you walk in that make more and more room for God you will enter deeper and deeper into the abundance of the eternal life that you already have that's the joy of repentance so this is not some kind of static position to adopt a lot of people and ministries that call themselves repentance ministries and, and they just got a one note, megaphone message. Repent, 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 repent. Uh, and something goes wrong in the nation, repent. Mad cow disease, repent. You know the conservatives get into power, repent. The lay people get into power, repent. And, and it's, just, it's just a static position they adopt. But repentance doesn't work like that. It's not static, it's dynamic. It's a dynamic process to enjoy rather than a static position to adopt. And it's similar to natural biological life as we've been seeing. There's the seed, there's a plant that comes and fruit that grows. And the spiritual principle of life means that the spirits at work within us, leading us and helping us, to plant the right seeds in terms of actions and thoughts and responses. And he responds to us by shaping our thoughts and attitudes, helping us and drawing us away from the bad stuff. Today, we have the enticing invitation of the Spirit, speaking the words of Jesus directly into your soul, saying, come follow me. What is it for you today? What is he saying? When we respond to this, we've got joy coming. In the area of fruitfulness, God says in the kingdom spiritually, there's no barrenness for those who walk in repentance. No process of life is going to be aborted. There's going to be no stillbirth at the end of the process. All of this, these analogies from human reproduction are extremely painful in the natural. People who want children and seem not to be able to have them. heart goes out to you. We pray for you. May God make you fruitful. People who've experienced abortion, either by choice or, or by some natural process which has happened. And either way, it's devastating. A heart goes out to you. You know of a couple who carried a child... The woman to, not, not to full term, but just a couple of weeks short of when the fetus is defined under the laws of that day as being viable in a human being. Up till then, it's no recognition in law. Something went terribly wrong. The family lost the child, but the child died before it was delivered before she was delivered and because the, t- the stillbirth happened just a few weeks outside of that age of viability or whatever it is called that precious little life that was never saw the light of day was simply flushed down the hospital sluices no funeral, it was as if it never happened. Now these human tragedies of barrenness, abortive processes, stillbirths, are desperate. And heart goes out to every single person who is part of that. I mention it partly to bless you and minister to you and bring God's healing to you at the natural level, but my real motivation is to say something which is 100% good news. As you walk in repentance, God promises, spiritually speaking, no barrenness, no abortion, and no stillbirth in spiritual matters. Walking with God or not walking with God, some of those other things, it happens to all kinds of people. This is no guarantee that nothing bad's going to happen to me. But what God is saying, I have plans for you where, where spiritually it's all about fruitfulness. It's all about life. It's all about me bringing to completion a process that began in you the moment you got saved. And in fact, actually way, way before that as my spirit worked in your life. So what God starts, he finishes. As we walk with him, we get to the destination. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23-24. Again, some of my most favorite verses in the Bible. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the punchline. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Strength for today. Bright hope for tomorrow. Great is your faithfulness. No spiritual stillbirths. Walking in repentance. I want to ask you, have you come out of a religious view of repentance? Now you might be seeking to repent and you still have that religious view and it's motivated by guilt and negativity. Or you may have just walked away from it and hope that today's sermon on repentance doesn't drive you away, but you feel the enticement of the love of God drawing you closer to Him. And and nothing that you hold on to is going to be worth it. One of the great heroes of missionary life of the church is a man called Jim Elliott, a missionary to the Ecuador Indians. Lost his life in martyrdom He said, he is no fool who loses what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Oh, yes, it's worth it. Maybe you have a struggle in some area of your life. Today, I have a list of questions which are uh, to do with sharing and applying this message to your hearts. The cell leaders have a copy. I emailed it. Well, Scott did it for me quite late last night. We were a little bit late on it. uh, But they're here today in printed form We ask these kind of questions. God is preparing us for something. Something big. Something new. Something fresh. We will see it. We've been meeting all over the summer in our leadership groups, praying and seeking the face of God. God is doing something. And there's a new kitchen coming in your spiritual life. The old is going and the new is coming. If anybody said, oh, a spiritual kitchen, I want a real kitchen. Well, God, grab that as well. Grab it. You never know, but there's something new coming. It's, it's not even a re- renovation, a patch up of the old. It's not a few replacement things here and there. It's a totally new thing. That God wants to do and he wants us to clear out the old stuff and move into the new stuff. And so it's walking in repentance but remember there's a vision and there's a purpose. It's not just about feeling gutted and depressed and and broken down in all this process. And thank God for some of those necessary operations of the Holy Spirit where we weep in the night but know that joy is coming in the morning. How have you overcome this in your life? What are you struggling with right now? How is it, or how much do you long for a closer relationship with Jesus through repentance? And we know that as we go out into this week and we are challenged and tested and stuff goes wrong, the great joy of repentance is knowing we can come back to Him and say, God, I blew it. But nevertheless, I'm sticking with this